Protests continue to slow truck traffic on the U.S.-Canadian border. What will it take for the Postal Service to turn a profit? And a conversation with FedEx Logistics President and CEO Uta Longa, who is a member of the White House Task Force on Supply Chain Disruptions. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends, on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister Company, a global manufacturer of forklifts, high-capacity lift trucks, and container handling equipment. Operations rely on Heister for everything from advanced power sources for material handling equipment to their industry-leading package of operator assist technologies, Heister Reaction. For more information, visit Heister.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, Udo Longa is the president and CEO of FedEx Logistics. He leads one of FedEx's most important business units and also is currently a member of the White House Task Force on Supply Chain Disruptions. I spoke with him yesterday about the work of the task force, how the industry is coping with disruptions, and how FedEx Logistics is working to meet customer needs during these unprecedented times. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Udo, to Logistics Matters. Yeah, hi, David. Thank you so much. I'm really delighted to be on your podcast today. FedEx, of course, is a very large corporation and has many different divisions. So how does FedEx Logistics fit into the FedEx structure and the offerings that you bring to the market? Yeah, so if you think about our business, uh, the, the space that we are covering is air freight forwarding, ocean freight forwarding, customs brokerage, and supply chain solutions. We have around about uh, 20,000 uh, employees in more than 31 countries and uh, are really yeah, supporting with that the whole FedEx enterprise and our customers with the specialty solutions around logistics. Now, as part of that role, you've obviously are an expert in that area, and that's one reason why you were selected to be part of the White House Task Force on Disruptions. What's it like working with that group? Yeah, I have to say I was really honored, uh, first, of course, when uh, the White House reached out to FedEx to be included as one of the key members in the White House Task Force on Supply Chain Disruption, and then when FedEx uh, nominated me as the key representative of the company. And so I was I was part of the um, kickoff call with Vice President Harris and Secretary Buttigieg, uh, John Porcari, several industry leaders um, and uh, union leaders as well, and uh, I think the message there was very clear that the, the congestion can really only be resolved in a joint effort. And uh, if you think about the, the congestion in Los Angeles and Long Beach, I, I compare it with a heart congestion uh, that a heart patient has. So think about the ports are like the heart of the economy for the United States, and now suddenly the, the heart is, is clogged. So now what you really need to do is instead of everybody optimizing their individual areas, it's looking at a joint level and say, what can we do together to improve here? And uh, I think uh, it's great to see that the, the public and private sectors has, have come forward. And 
some of the results, if you take the, um, the um, full container fee that was not even implemented yet, uh, but just uh, announced, has already reduced uh, the long dwelling containers by 59%. By now, my understanding is we have been, we were one of the proponents uh, to get sweeper ships in there so that you can get uh, empty containers out uh, so that you can basically, as part of your hard operation, so to say, free up all the more capacity because it's empties and fulls which are blocking the container. Several ocean carriers have come to the table and uh, my understanding is it's more than 100,000 containers that have already on the empty side being removed uh, with sweeper ships. Uh, so, um, but of course it's a, it's a massive challenge and it, it takes everybody involved and uh, you still need to work through the chassis shortage uh, as well. And uh, definitely you need to have more removals of empty and, and full containers. Uh, but I think everybody is very focused on that. Yeah, you had mentioned a couple of the things that are being done and obviously there's, there's a lot that remains. Uh, we're making progress slowly but surely, but how long do you think this is going to last and what do you think are the main things that the task force should focus on now? So I think uh, continue to work on the, uh, the re removal of the full containers, removal uh, of the empty containers is critical, thinking about through um, what, is your, what is the whole idea around the, the chassis situation because you still have a chassis shortage. And then from there on, when you have resolved these, I'm sure the next bottleneck will pop up, David, and then you need to focus on, uh, on that topic. How long do you think things will take before we get back to the pre-pandemic conditions that we enjoyed in 2019? So if I've learned one thing during this pandemic, it's uh, I'm, I'm not making any predictions on when the pandemic is over and when the impact of the pandemic <laughs> is over. So, and uh, so I think it's it's more about how do you work through because every variant has different impacts and how do you work through it and how do you adjust to the environment and how do you address the challenges at hand? I think that's the right leadership right now. Fair enough on that question. Um, obviously, FedEx Logistics has been uh, along with everyone else trying to navigate all of this. What have you been doing specifically for your customers to enable their supply chains to continue to flow? Yeah, so let me give you examples on the on the air freight and the ocean freight, but even also on the supply chain side. So, um, so the, the the interesting on the ocean freight side, if you think about congestion, is it's on the port of origin, then long waiting times in Long Los Angeles, Long Beach, then it's uh, no chassis availability. And then it's a trucker shortage as well. So we have actually created a solution and think, think about, again, the congestion heart where you can also have a bypass uh, in, as part of such a situation. So we, we use the, the Port Human in China and the Port Wainimi on the West Coast, and both of them have no dwell time or waiting time. So check mark on that. Then FedEx Freight is actually importing containers, 53-foot containers for their, for their operation. And we use that, so check on the container, uh, uh, container side. And then FedEx Freight has also their own chassis that we use, so check on the chassis. And then the Port Wainemi has been amazing to work with. So you arrive, you unload the ship within 48 hours, 
and the truckers have zero wait time. So uh, we got uh, our truckers really excited about this. So we created this very differentiated solution and uh, are, sh are saving more than 20 days in transit time for our customers at a very uh, competitive uh, cost situation. On the air freight side, we're working very flexible with our with our customers, and uh, we we are we are defining pulsing solutions. We have uh, air freight chartering programs, and of course, also think about it. We do all of this while we support uh, humanity during COVID. So we had more than 200 PPE charters operated or orchestrated by FedEx Logistics, and we are now uh, also part of the uh, testing logistics where we, we have the chartering of the planes and then we have the supply chain operation, FedEx Logistics who does the, the cross-docking and then our transportation management ensuring deliveries. And then think about our supply chain facilities across the world. Well, of course, heavy switch into e-commerce and uh, we are one of the leaders in fulfillment in the United States and uh, are supporting our customers, um, of course, uh, doing this very strong e-commerce demand, but of course, also our B2B customers through contract contract logistics. So uh, we're really a critical link and I'm, I'm very excited about what my whole team and everybody within FedEx Logistics has done and uh, a big thanks to, to all of our team members. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing some terrific things there. I know in addition to that, you've also been working through a lot of digital innovation to improve the customer experience. What's involved with all of that? Yeah, let me talk about that on the one hand from a, a FedEx enterprise uh, perspective and then also go a little bit deeper on what we are doing in addition also at FedEx Logistics. So on the enterprise, and uh, if you hear our president, chief operating uh, officer Rashid Marani and talk about it. It's just fascinating. So we, we are leaning extremely strong into digital and uh, we've created a company called FedEx DataWorks. And in 2019, prior to the pandemic, FedEx set really out on a new chapter of our journey to innovate digitally and transform commerce through the power of data. And our objective is there to provide better visibility for us and our customers. And we created this company with a mission to leverage the data created by the FedEx network and apply capabilities like machine learning and decision science to make supply chains work smarter for everyone. And FedEx DataWorks takes really a platform-centric approach to create powerful applications. And by continuously building, iterating, and exploring, we are able to develop products quicker with each repetition and make data work better for our customers and providing greater visibility and optimization across the supply chain. So I think that's so excited. We are leaning very strongly into the data side, but then we also launched FedEx Surround and we launched this in collaboration with, with Microsoft and FedEx Surround is a customer platform that enables new and proactive monitoring and intervention controls over the supply chains. So from the millions of data points we get from package across our network, we build FedEx around which monitors the risk to packages along the delivery route, such as weather disruptions or traffic delays. And this real-time information provides customers visibility to the state of their supply chain and allows them to proactively plan the remediation and alternatives that FedEx can help to execute to keep a shipment on track. So 
And, and what is really fascinating, we used this to support the COVID-19 vaccine transportation. And uh, the reality of the COVID vaccines on our system was a five times increase in daily shipments that required hands-on priority management. And typical priority shipments include items like other medical deliveries requiring cold storage or specialized industrial parts that keep plants from having to shut down. So, and this innovation now gets uh, applied to uh, other areas with high high value customers. So that's that's you see how heavy we are as FedEx leaning into data and and digital uh, connectivity leading in the digital space as, as front and center to FedEx and FedEx Logistics. Well, and as we've seen, having good data as well as visibility into cargo is really important with all of the we've experienced in the last couple of years. We've been talking with Udo Longa, the president and CEO of FedEx Logistics. Thanks again for being with us today. Thank you so much, David, for having us. Appreciate it. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Victoria, you reported yesterday on the continuing protests and disruptions occurring at the U.S.-Canadian border. What's the latest there? Yeah, that's right, Dade. So um, supply chain issues have been in the mainstream news once again recently with uh, what's happening across the uh, U.S.-Canada border. Supply lines have been slowing there this week, especially in the Detroit area. As uh, you noted, protests continue throughout Canada um, in the wake of COVID-19 vaccine mandates affecting truck drivers, which uh, took effect in January. These are mandates that require workers who previously who were previously exempt from the rules to now show proof of vaccination to cross the border, and that includes truckers. The rule for entering Canada took effect January 15th, and the rule for entering the U.S. on January 22nd. I spoke with leaders at Supply Chain Visibility Platform for Kites about this issue um, just to see how it's affecting cross-border shipments. And Forkites tracks things like on-time performance, shipment volumes, and wait times at the border uh, for customers in a range of industries. Um, and they regularly do this for all kinds of um, supply chain disruptions. So the company's data shows that showed changes in all of those metrics, both immediately after the mandates went into effect and in the weeks since. Um, essentially, they saw on-time performance and shipping volumes decline in the weeks the mandates took effect, as well as um, they saw longer wait times at the border. On-time delivery performance um, for U.S. to Canada shipments have since improved, but the data show declining rates for deliveries from Canada to the United States. And Forkite says that's likely due to continuing effects from the protests and the blockades that we see occurring across the country. Um, wait times from the U.S. to Canada were trending downward by about 30% as of this past Monday, which was good news, but wait times from Canada to the U.S. were up by 20% or more compared to the previous week. Um, as I mentioned, the situation was most acute in the Detroit, Windsor, Ontario area, where a major trade artery, the Ambassador Bridge, has been blocked. And that's a, a key trade route for the auto industry on both sides of the border. And there have been reports already, um, as many of our listeners have probably heard of um, production lines being affected with some of the major automakers shutting down plants and cutting back on ships uh, because they can't get um, uh, certain products and materials. I checked this morning, and as of uh, this early this morning, trucks still weren't getting through that bridge. Um, commercial traffic is being diverted to another bridge in the area, so things are still moving pretty slow. Victoria, is the situation notably worse than some of the other supply chain disruptions that we've been dealing with during the pandemic? 
Yeah, um, good question. I spoke to um, Glenn Kepke, who's a senior vice president at Forkites, and he characterized this as one more in a long line of disruptions that um, business and the supply chain logistics industry has had to deal with the past two years. So he essentially said it's it's really not much different from what they would see um, with the, a severe weather disruption or a strike or a similar issue. The difference seems to be here that um, people didn't expect the mandates and the reaction to have such a strong impact um, as early as they have. Um, but companies are dealing with it now and figuring out um, how to reroute deliveries, especially if they're in the broader metro regions on either side of the uh, Detroit-Windsor border. Um, uh, Forkites data showed that other border crossings um, are not as affected, but there is concern that that you know, could happen. The other issue here is that trade groups are weighing in and asking government and business leaders to um, take action to alleviate this problem. The Canadian Trucking Alliance has asked leaders to um, you know, quickly find a way to end the blockades in particular. Um, I did see, I think it was yesterday or maybe this morning, that the city of Windsor is seeking an injunction to remove the demonstrators from the bridge. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, an American trade group called the Owner Operator Independent Drivers Association has asked leaders on both sides of the border to exempt truckers from the new mandates, you know, saying that their status as essential workers and the fact that they work alone in their trucks and primarily outdoors, you know, puts them at low risk for transmitting COVID-19. So essentially they're saying, you know, the same rules that have applied to truckers for the past two years should remain in place. Um, so not clear right now how all this will play out, but it, um, Looks like the supply chain can expect more um, cross-border delays, um, certainly in the near future and maybe the weeks ahead. Yeah, it seems that way. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you wrote this week about how Congress might finally be taking steps to help the U.S. Postal Service start operating at a profit again. What more can you tell us? Yeah, exactly. This uh, has been one of those stories that's been playing out over many, many years. Um, the most recent news is that we got the latest quarterly earnings results this week from the U.S. Postal Service. And uh, it's always interesting reading. They revealed a lot of trends and changes that are happening at the agency. Uh, but first of all, they also showed one thing that hasn't changed in a long time, and that's the bottom line, that the post office continues to lose money. For the quarter ending December 31st, USPS lost 1.5 billion. Uh, that was measured, uh, th there are different accounting measures that they use, but uh, we'll stick with the what's called gap measures. Uh, and that 1.5 billion loss compares to a net income of 318 million for last year's quarter at the same time. Uh, but looking on a year to year basis, that's about on par uh, for the performance. It's usually in the red. USPS gave some reasons for the loss. Uh, for example, they said its costs rose last quarter. Uh, that was led by uh, almost a 10% jump in transportation expenses. Uh, that's because of climbing rates for diesel fuel and jet fuel, and that leads to climbing uh, unit costs per mile. At the same time, its revenue dropped. So you can tell that's a bad recipe. Uh, and USPS said, in fact, it would have dropped even more if they hadn't raised stamp prices again last year. The problem behind that is that there's a continuing migration from postal mail to electronic communications uh, and also transaction alternatives. Uh, so in other words, email and direct deposit checks, for example. Uh, and those things have been ex exacerbated, uh, accelerated by the pandemic. At the same time, there's an e-commerce boom we've been reporting on uh, for many months, and that's pushing more parcels than ever into the postal service network. But USPS makes a lot less money delivering packages than letters, so that's not a good trend for it. Uh, 
Uh, USPS did say that the pandemic-related surge of e-commerce we saw in 2021 is now abating as the economy recovers. Uh, but that just means that it's a slower rate of growth. It's still growing. And in fact, the service said that it's shipping and packages volume is higher now uh, still than pre-pandemic levels. Uh, it's complicated, though. At the same time, you know, the Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, uh, has rolled out some controversial alternatives uh, to try to make the service run more profitably. Um, you know, some of those have drawn criticism uh, that one of them was slowing delivery time for packages uh, going longer distances. Another one is replacing the aging mail truck fleet, uh, primarily with gas burning instead of electric cars. But under questioning, DeJoy has said that the USPS simply can't afford to do it any other way unless Congress steps up and increases their budget. Well, Ben, those sound like big challenges. What can Congress do to help? They really are big challenges. Like we were talking about, you know, it's just simple math. Um, and, you know, if, if your costs are rising and your income dropping. Uh, and for years, we hadn't seen Congress do anything at all to help. But this week, uh, the day after those results came out, uh, we finally saw that begin to change. So the House of Representatives passed a bill called the Postal Service Reform Act of 2022. Among other changes, uh, that bill would repeal a requirement that the Postal Service has to prepay its future retirement health benefits. That's a little wonky, but uh, it's a regulation that Postal Service leaders have long complained doesn't apply to private corporations, and it makes it really difficult for them to compete in the open market. So going forward, um, the bill would have postal employees and retirees instead get their medical coverage through Medicare, um, and, and also a new um, program through the Federal Office of Personnel Management. Uh, as well, on the income side, the bill could help increase uh, revenue by allowing USPS to start generating extra income by providing, uh, quote, certain non-postal products and services uh, through agreements with different states and regions. Uh, that, 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 I believe, refers uh, to, to banking uh, and financial services. Uh, it it is, is something that has long been suggested as a possible side business. So the way that these things work in Washington, um, that House bill now heads to the U.S. Senate. Uh, lawmakers are drafting a parallel bill there. If the Senate bill passes, then the two acts have to be combined through reconciliation, and then finally they would head to the White House for final approval. So lots of steps there, difficult to forecast. But, um, you know, there are two things that make it look possible. So first, uh, DeJoy, the Postmaster General, is in favor of it. Uh, in a statement before it passed, uh, he called it long overdue legislation and said that if it passed the House, which it did, then he was hopeful that the Senate would also vote in a timely manner. And the second thing that makes it look good is that the bill passed the House with a vote of 342 to 92. And that shows really strong bipartisan support in a body that's pretty equally split between the parties. And that's a pretty amazing thing in Washington nowadays, given you know the polarized debate that we see and prevents much productive discussion on a lot of other issues. So a um, couple of reasons to be hopeful here. Yeah, it sure is. It's almost a miracle if you ask me if, if uh, you can get Congress to, to do something so overwhelmingly. Let's hope it happens. Thanks, Ben. Yep. Yep. Glad to do it. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And Check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights from the news this week. Happy to be here. Yeah, me too. Thanks. And again, our thanks to Udo Longa of FedEx Logistics for being our guest today. 
We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our 11-part limited podcast series from CSCMP's Supply Chain Quarterly on the top 10 supply chain threats. Search on your favorite podcast platform to listen to the episodes. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister. With strength, durability, and their industry-leading suite of lift truck operator assist technologies, Heister powers your possibilities. For more information, visit Heister.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we'll discuss best practices for developing secure supply chains. Be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.